You're listening to the Speechy Side Up podcast, episode number 23. Today we are joined by Kristen Emick from Talkin' with Twang. In this episode, we discuss factors that influence job satisfaction, the most important lesson she has learned from running an online business, as well as her previous career as a teacher and how it influenced her current role as an SLP. You're listening to the Speechy Side Up podcast with Kim and Vanita. Just two SLPs in a pod who love their field and supporting fellow SLP bosses. This podcast will cover the flip side of traditional speech and language therapy so you get inspired and learn from experts in the field. Here are your hosts. When they are not working together on their social book series, Lou Knows What to Do, Vanita can be found traveling or drinking matcha lattes. Kim can be found running marathons or fueling her coffee addiction to function as a mom to a preschooler and an infant. Together, they are serving up some informative and fun topics in Speechy Side Up. Hey, everybody. Kim and Vanita here. Welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment. You can also follow us on Instagram at Speechy Side Up, S-P-E-E-C-H-I-E-S-I-D-E-U-P. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today we have Kristen Emick from Talking with Twang. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. You're an amazing SLP, TPT creator, and blogger. We're so excited to speak with you and for the listeners to get to know you better. So before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got started, and what you do today? Yes, sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah, so I have kind of one of those unconventional routes to becoming a SLP. I um, was in college and didn't know what I wanted to do, so I ended up a theater major, and then I decided I wanted to become a teacher, so I did that. Um, I got a degree, a master's degree to teach. I taught for seven years, but um, I really didn't know about speech pathology. Even as a teacher, I had kids that went to speech, but I didn't really know what they did. You know, they left my room and they came back. Um, And it wasn't until my daughter was in speech herself um, at the age of three, she started going to see a private speech therapist at a clinic and I got to watch the sessions and I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I knew um, about year five of teaching that I really wasn't going to be good at that for 20 more years. So um, I kept coming back to, you know, speech pathology and you know, I'm going to have to go back to school. Um, But I just decided to take the leap and I did have to take some leveling courses before I could get into grad school. But um, I really feel like the timing of it, it was all God's plan because I don't think I would have been successful at um, my master's in speech pathology in my younger years. I think it took some time for me to mature and really, um, uh, be okay with all the science part of it and <laughs> that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's been a good run so far. So I'm now in my, uh, this is my sixth year. I worked two years as an assistant while I was in grad school cool. and then did my clinical fellowship year. And then now this is my third year with my C's. Oh, awesome. Cool. Yeah. I, you know what? That's what I really love about this show is that we hear so many people different 
stories and like that's a great story and that's so interesting that like you're you know observing your daughter's session got you this whole career and it's so funny how things work but I just mm -hmm. love hearing all these people's different stories basically and uh how everyone got yeah I think that's been my so favorite part about your podcast is hearing all the backgrounds yeah I know for sure and I have a similar story because my background was my undergraduate degree was in psychology and it was a similar thing. We didn't have an undergraduate program in speech language pathology where I went to school. So I had no idea that that field even existed. And I think I was talking to my sister-in-law. She's a physical therapist. And I was like, I don't know about psychology. I had done an internship with a psychologist and I was like, I just don't know if this is for me. And she's like, well, why don't you go into speech? And I was like, what is that? <laughs> and she's like, you'll always have a job. And so we had a linguistics course at my, my university. And so I was like, well, let me take this. And if I like it, then maybe I'll go into, you know, the field of speech language pathology. And I loved it. I know it's a little far fetched, but I loved like learning and I like the phonetics that I learned in the linguistics class. And so I was like, all right, maybe this is where I'm supposed to be. And then I was working for as a behavioral tech at the time. And they had a speech language pathologist that worked for that company. And so I kind of just tried to go under his wing and found out that I really, really enjoyed it. So I can totally relate in the fact that, you know, unfortunately, it's not a very well-known field, but it's a very rewarding one once you get into it. And yes, I think that's absolutely is uh, pretty natural too from teacher to speech absolutely. because I did that as well. Um, my undergrad program actually you didn't have to do a second thesis if it was if your major was in speech because I my first was um a dual certification program where it was general ed and special ed. Uh, and at the time I was doing my student internships in New York City public schools. So this is probably circa, I wanna say, oh my God, maybe 2004 or three, or I don't even know if I'm doing the math right on that, but I wanna <laughs> say maybe 2000, um, no, probably 2002. And the point is that at that time, even though it was nowhere near as intense as it is now, like the test prep was really coming through in my student teaching. And I was okay. starting to feel like I loved seeing the relationship of the individual therapist to the kiddos like I felt like those therapists not that teachers aren't because they're certainly making a heck of a difference but I hated the idea of being confined to like this many periods of test prep driven instruction a day and I love seeing the therapist be able to address the kiddos goals in whatever format she wanted and also the great rapport that she had with them coming back and forth to class like I just love the idea of spending more individualized or small group time with kiddos yeah I think that's why yeah. like some people do choose speech pathology over teaching. I know the social speech, he talks about that, like having that smaller ratio is one of the benefits of going into speech. Yeah, and I think it's becoming more common for um, classroom teachers, whether they're in special education or general education, I think they're starting to see this field more. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, in my program, um, I would say a good 50 to 60% were teachers that were mm -hmm. um, getting their degrees for speech pathology. There was a lot of us in my program. Oh, okay. So, so much goes into being a TPT creator and blogger. What is the most important lesson you've learned in this process? Oh gosh. Um, I think I didn't realize when I started how much work it actually is. Um, and I think a lot of people, they just have the mindset of, oh, I can do that. I'm just going to make something and throw it up there and see what happens. But then once you start really learning about um, product creation and marketing, and you realize that it's a whole business. Um, and 
the the people I think on um, that are most successful on TPT are the ones who really um, appreciate that and um, put the time into it. And I'm one of those that I'm very busy and I have only one daughter, but she is highly active in gymnastics and volleyball and piano lessons. And so um, I do what I can when I can, but I'm still learning every day. Um, you know, you learn about copyright laws and trademarks and marketing and now tax law and <laughs> it's a oh there's a lot more to than just you know having a great idea and seeing you know what happens right mm -hmm. yeah tax law what is that all about i'm so oh, sure. I'm, <laughs> uh, I, i'm not even following it like i should um but there's been some new changes to um online sales and taxes and paying taxes to all the states and it's a big mess Wow. So I, I don't know everything that I need to know about it right now. I'm trying not to worry about it too much, but yeah, it's I'm been a big topic of discussion. I'm surprised TBT doesn't like automatically apply that. I think they're working on it. Okay. It's, it's, it's been a big, a bit hot topic, you know, among yeah. Etsy and TPT and, you know, all of those online. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But um, there's just a lot more to it than I think people realize, but it's incredibly worth it. I love it. I love every minute of it. I love the connections. I love this, you know, that we get to meet and talk to each other. And, um, and I love that things that I'm making are helping other people. Um, I love hearing the messages and seeing, you know, that they're finding things helpful. Um, yeah. So it is really cool. And even not even just your products. I love the quotes that you do and the fonts, and, you know, just <laughs> yeah it's inspirational you know so i agree it's pretty cool connecting. yeah and it's it's really neat when i put a quote or um, something out that is really applicable to me at that moment and then somebody else will say that's exactly what i wanted to hear or that's i needed that message today or i needed this reminder and i'm like you know we all go through similar experiences absolutely um in our day-to-day -day lives for sure so now what's your favorite product that you've created well I'm partial to the Sudoku products. Um, those have been so fun. They're, they're a labor of love. They take a lot of time to create. Um, and I think, I think they're a little intimidating for some people. Um, I know Darla from Miss Gardenia's Speech Room, we're really good friends. And the first time I made them, she says, I don't even know how to play Sudoku. <laughs> so I'm not touching those. <laughs> and I said, but just give it a try. It's really fun. Um, I've used them with kids as young as kindergarten, um, you know, like typical developing kids that might just only be working on articulation all the way up through middle schoolers. Um, and it's just a unique way to get the practice in and get them thinking. And um, I, I make different levels so I can have kids working on their own sounds or even I have some for language skills so I can use them in mixed groups and everybody has their own page at whatever level is appropriate to them. And they feel so excited at the end when they're finished. And then they get to take it home and show their parents or show their teachers, you know, look what I did. And it looks really hard, but if you start at the simpler levels, it's really not that hard. Um, but they just, they, they, they're really engaged. Um, and I think those are, those are my favorite. 
Very cool. I've been wanting to start that with my son, but he's a little too young, but I look forward to doing that with him because I used to love those puzzles. I would sometimes get the, um, the Sudoku books for like a trip. If mm-hmm. I was, if I knew I was going to be like in the car or on a plane for a long time, it's a long, t- a long, long time ago, but, um, so I look forward to doing it. And I do think that they can definitely be engaging with kiddos because once you get really into the puzzle, it's like, I don't know, I feel like very, um, you have to be very like methodical about just combing through and, you know, which number goes where. So I think it's great for focus, especially in like the screen all the screen time that we have going on in 2018 I think it's great for kiddos to take a break and just do a puzzle like that on top of their regular artic or language goals you know mm-hmm. yeah and I have somewhere there's really only one picture missing per box mm-hmm. so that's a great way to learn like for people who don't know how to play it how mm-hmm. the rules work that's a great way to get started and then you can kind of ease into you know the harder ones where there's more pictures missing and more thought kind yeah. of going through it but um, yeah, we, when we do those for articulation, we get so many repetitions and they just have so much fun. Mm-hmm. And I started making some for the old lady books and those <laughs> have been really fun. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. There's so many of those books too. That is mm-hmm. Very cool. So, you know, you've already told us that you used to be a teacher. How do you think that that experience has influenced your work as an SLP and, um, why did you make the switch? I don't think that you told us that earlier. Yeah, um, so I, I mentioned earlier that I didn't really know about speech pathology until my daughter was in. And by then I was in my, let's see, fourth year of teaching, I think, by the time she started in speech. Um, I, I love being at the school. I mean, I think I've been in education total. This is my 13th year between teaching and speech. Um, and I just, I love, I've always loved school. I've kind of been a nerd and, you know, (laughs) um, just love the environment. It's always been a safe place for me. And I, I knew that I wanted to stay in the school setting, but I didn't know what I could do other than teach. And so, but I was just, I was at the point where, um, I was, starting to lose my patience, you know, mm-hmm. all day with um, all the pressures of standardized tests and, you know, and I switched schools and thought maybe a change of scenery would help and it didn't. I still found myself just becoming the kind of teacher that I wouldn't want my daughter to have. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to recognize that. And I tried, you know, taking a break um, from, just trying to be the best and just try to get the job done. But I just was losing my passion, I think, because of all the, all the other stresses that come along with it. And I was um, coming home so exhausted Mm -hmm. and I just knew I had to find something else to do. And so then when, when I discovered speech language pathology and I kept saying, you know, I could do that and still be in the schools And so then I started talking more to like the SLPs that were at my schools and that kind of thing. Um, But my background in teaching has been so helpful. Um, Not only do I have, you know, that training as far as how to teach different skills, um, but I think what really, really helps is in communicating with teachers. Mm -hmm. And it means a lot, I think, to a teacher when I can say, I've been in your shoes. Right. I know what it's like on your side. Um, and even now, it's so funny because 
teachers will sometimes say to me, wow, Kristen, you have so much patience. And I say, well, I, I can have patience for anything for 30 minutes. I mean, when you have a challenging child for eight hours a day, it's a little bit harder. And, um, uh, but I try to come at it, whereas I, you know, I have been in their shoes and I know what it's like in my classroom and I can um, give them kind of extra supports and information that will help them on their side um, and just keeping those lines of communication open. I remember back to when I was a teacher and I had no idea where my kids were going. I knew they went to speech, didn't know what they were, unless they had a clear articulation thing. I really didn't know what they were working on. Mm -hmm. So I try to make sure that my teachers always know this is why they're leaving. This is what they're working on. And I'm always amazed when I sit down with a teacher and they, they say, but they don't, they don't need speech. They sound fine. And then I explain to them everything else that we can work on, you know, as far as the language skills and um, it's just, you know, it's just great to kind of see that aha moment. Oh, you do that. Oh yeah. They really struggle with that. <laughs> do you see a do you have a preference over like going into the classroom or taking kids out of the classroom based off of, you know, your experience as being a teacher? Well, at the schools that I have worked at, it's been primarily pull out. So okay. I haven't done a whole lot of push in therapy um, other than going into like the PPCD classrooms or the life skills, you know, functional academics rooms. Um, so I haven't been at a district where the push-in therapy is common, so I haven't really done a whole lot of that. Um, but I, I think it just depends on the timing of it and how well you can connect and plan with the teacher ahead of time to make sure that it's um, going well. But I know a lot of people who do the, the push-in therapy, and it's really great. So um, I just haven't done it myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's like all we did at the school was going uh, yeah. to the classroom, but we worked at a school primarily for children with autism. She still does. Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, they, we do a whole language group sort of model where the SLP is running a group and kind of instructing support staff as to how they can be of assistance to help each child participate. But sometimes I would also put, use this sort of model. Um, I guess it's 50-50 where I would jump in and during the teacher's lesson and, you know, do push in. And I feel like I have mixed feelings about it. Sometimes I feel like it's wildly effective and I feel like I've been a really big impact in that moment in the classroom. And other times, you know, the student, you, it, which is a pleasant surprise because we want them to be independent. But um, sometimes you go in and you find like, oh, they really didn't need my help this session. And I don't feel like I had to contribute too much, which is a good thing. But also then you feel like, oh, I would have rather used my session time for something that maybe would have been a little bit more effective for that particular student, you know? Yeah. Last year, I did um, try something out. Um, I was at a really, really small district where there's just one kindergarten. And um, that was just one of my campuses throughout the week. But um, I got that Story Champs kit. I don't know if you're all familiar with I it. I just saw it, yeah. Yes. And um, it's like a whole um, language intervention type, you know, program. And um, I only had a few kids that I was using it with one-on-one -on -one or in small groups in my speech sessions. And I really wanted to get the feel for how well it worked with the large group. So the kindergarten teacher allowed me to come into her classroom and do lead the large group lessons. Mm -hmm. And um, just having the speech and language 
that ground to lead those was really great. And then also I got to see, I had three children in the classroom that were on my caseload and I got to see how they were performing in that large group setting. Um, and that was really great. That's nice. And it's almost like you're addressing that tier one, you're providing that tier one support <laughs> at that kindergarten level as well. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. Yeah. Very cool. Oh, also on your Instagram, I saw that you met Temple Grandin and I was so jealous. Yes. <laughs> so, so jealous. Um, I've always wanted to see her speak. So can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yes. So uh, if you ever get a chance to um, go see her speak, I absolutely recommend it. Just hearing her experiences and her perspective on things um, is really amazing. And um she, you know, she talks a lot about um, her, the, her work with the cattle industry and, you know, everything that's in the movie, um, the Temple Grandin movie. But uh, what, I, what really struck me is when she was talking about pushing kids out of their comfort zone. And um, a lot of what she said really doesn't even only apply to children with autism. I mean, just children in general, you know, and she said probably three or four different times, you got to get them out of the basement, off the video games, talking to people. And, you know, she really talked about how the only reason she can do what she's doing today is because she pushed herself or people, other people even pushed her to step out of her comfort zone. Um, and uh, just, it's just so amazing just to hear how she can really communicate that um, across, just so motivating. Yeah. Um, and here's, the, here's my favorite thing I think about that day was um, she, you know, sometimes you go to pre presentations and the presenters kind of hang out back in their, you know, staging area or whatever. They come out and they speak and then they leave. But she was there early before she spoke in the lobby area, taking pictures, shaking hands, saying hi to people, listening to their stories, answering their questions. Then she spoke and then she didn't leave. She stayed the whole day. There were like three or four other presenters after her. And during every break, she was out there shaking hands, signing books, taking pictures. Um, just, yes. And I mean, didn't matter if, if somebody was, um, you know, telling their story of their child with autism or just saying how amazing she is, or, you know, she took the time to listen to everybody. Um, and nobody felt rushed and she was there all day. That's awesome. All day. I yeah. love hearing that. That's so amazing. Um, yeah. I feel like just similar, but not nearly on that grand scale, but, <laughs> but no, but just similar. Even I feel like we've recently talked to some bigger names in the field, like Melanie Poduck and Gail, and they've been so nice and so eager to share their information and so 10 times nicer and more amazing than I thought they were going to be. Both of them were, you know what I mean? And yeah. I feel like I just love when people who are really successful in our, in our field or, you know, just have amazing stories to share. I love hearing that they're also awesome people on top of it. You know, it just makes yeah. it like an icing on the cake. Yeah. And just watching her take pictures with people. She didn't usually look at the camera. There's not a whole lot of smiling going on. So it didn't mm -hmm. seem like it was her favorite thing to do, but she did it. Yeah. And which is even um, a bigger deal almost. Yes, yes, yes. That's cool. so cool. She was at Flasha and I missed her. I was really bummed about that, but I'll definitely try to catch her at another convention or something soon. Yeah, I highly recommend it. You won't be disappointed. 
yeah, I'll definitely have to make sure next time. So on to another topic. You've been really honest about your recent decision to leave the school setting for a clinic-based setting and um, how it didn't turn out the way that you thought it might, so you returned back to the school setting. And I think this is very common in our field due to the variety of settings SLPs can work in. Um, and you know, I really think that it's brave that you made the leap to try something new. So can you tell us about your feelings throughout that whole transition? Yeah, it has been um, a huge learning experience for me. And I'll kind of preface this by saying, you know, I talked about the program that I was in earlier and how there are a lot of us who are teachers. The program that I did through Texas Women's University um, was a, it wasn't their on-campus regular speech pathology program. It was kind of a distance learning. Um, and the whole time they really wanted you to commit to staying in the schools. Like that's, you know, their way of um, kind of helping fulfill that need. And so when I started that program, I said, oh, I'm never leaving the schools. And I never had the intention to leave the school. Um, but unfortunately, in my area, I live in a pretty rural area. Um, the biggest district near me is still maybe, maybe at full, at full capacity, maybe 13 or 14 speech pathologists. It's not huge. Most of the districts around me are either part of special ed co-ops, where there's 12 districts um, served by one um, special ed department, um, or they're just small districts where they employ only one or two speech pathologists. So if people don't leave those spots, the school-based positions are kind of hard to come by around here. And I had worked for the same, I worked for a co-op through my two years of grad school and through my CFY, and then for two years afterwards. And um, it was it was a great place to work, but there were just things about it that um, that weren't the right fit for me. And I won't go into all the specifics, but it was a lot of driving. Sometimes I was going 30, 40 miles between schools in the same day. Mm -hmm. um, but just a lot of a lot of contributing factors made me decide I need to seek employment elsewhere. But there weren't any other school-based openings, mm -hmm. really. Um, in my area. And so um, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll give it a, a shot, go to a private clinic. Um, I had this vision of making so much money and working great hours and, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one therapy and relationships with parents. And, and I'm not going to say anything negative about the private clinic setting, but I realized it was not for me. Um, there are some really great things about that setting, but um, I, in the two months that I was there, I had so many cancellations. I had so many no-shows. Um, and the way my particular clinic worked was we were paid per visit. So if they didn't show up, I didn't get paid. So if I had four hours worth of therapy that didn't show up, that really hit me hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, my family kind of needs the consistency, but mm -hmm. I also was really missing, I just really missed the school setting. Right. And I missed just being in the hallways and I missed talking to the teachers and I missed um, just that aspect of it. Um, mm -hmm. And so then I was in the situation where I had to try to find a school-based job in mid-September. 
and um, in around here, schools start mid-August, so it's already going on a month of school. Um, but there happened to be a district who had been hiring through the summer after I accepted my um, clinic job that didn't fill all their positions. And so I was able to find, um, to get a position with them. And it, um, it actually has been really great. Um, yeah. And I just, the first day back, I just felt like I felt at peace. Um, you know, this is where I belong and I don't know why I thought that I would be happy in another setting because I just, you know, school is just my thing, (laughs) you know? And I really, when I left my school position and started telling people I was taking a clinic position, I felt a lot of guilt over that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I ended up writing that blog post because um, I really was feeling guilty. You know, why are you leaving the schools? And I wanted people to know, and I kind of was trying to convince myself, it's okay. It's okay to try something else. But the guilt was just, was really overwhelming. And so I think when I decided that I needed to go back to the schools and found a school-based job. Um, the relief, I think, was just, it was like a burden was taken off my shoulders. And I've been with this district now um, five weeks. And it, it was a little difficult to come in after the school year had started, but I'm getting my groove. I Last week was the first week I actually saw kids okay. um, because they hadn't assigned me to a school yet. Um, I was just helping with testing. There's a lot of assessments and that kind of stuff, but um, it's just where I, it's where I feel, um, I guess, the most useful, um, where I can put my talents to use. Um, but I do love that in this field, there are settings for everybody. Mm-hmm. And over since, since getting, so the last two, two, you know, and a half years or not even half a year, but since I've had my C's, I've done home health, I've done um, nursing home, I've done now the private clinic and then school-based. Um, the nursing home and the home health stuff, I just do kind of on the side, at, you know, PRN. Um, but out of all those settings, I just feel the most effective in the schools. Mm-hmm. So, but I love that there's a perfect setting for everybody. and. Um, I found mine, so I don't have plans to leave the schools <laughs> again. <laughs> For well, sure. And even if, you know, you get to a point where you're not happy, which is, you know, everyone goes through that, maybe switching to another school if something opens up. But, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that. If you hear me ever talk about it, I've been through quite a few settings and I, I've only been out in the field, like not that long, maybe like four years, but I We'll always want to kind of see, okay, what's, you know, what's this like, or what's that like in the last job I was in, I was a consultant. So I got to work with, I got to support speech language pathologists in all different types of settings, the school, um, hospitals, um, in like rehab centers. And what I found was that everyone thinks the grass is greener on the other mm-hmm. side. No one is yeah. really happy a hundred percent in their setting. And that was really surprising to me. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there are people who are very unhappy at their particular schools, Mm -hmm. but it also has a lot to do with your administration, has to do with if you're on a team and what that team is like. Um, And yeah, you might not, people might not be happy at the particular school they're at, but if there are other options, you know, I would try different schools. um, But, you know, there, there was no harm in trying a different setting. 
Um, but I, I knew, I figured it out pretty quickly that it just wasn't where I belonged. But um, uh, the great thing about it was I wasn't tied into a contract. So um, I was able to go back. There's just not a lot of um, the speech pathology employment opportunities in my area are just kind of slim. It's just a, it's a more rural area. So, you know, like make it challenging. Uh, I definitely identify with so much of what you said um, and also what you said. Uh, I just feel like we all do get grass is greener syndrome. And um, something I have to say that I love, love, love about the Instagram SLP community is that I really think we've taken away that negative stigma from like the school-based SLP. Maybe, I'm, I mean, I don't know if I, if this topic has come up on here, but. It hasn't. I'm glad um, you brought it up because it came up this week. Yes. In one of my meetings. I mean, personally, I just want to say that going back like early 20s me, if I ran into early 20 me, <laughs> 20s me on a dark corner, I would surely punch her in the face because she had a lot of opinions that were really, really <laughs> And I can tell you right now, I'm probably a huge disappointment to early 20s me who had all these goals for what type of mother or SLP or wife or person I would be in general. I'm not exactly that person. Um, But I definitely had a low opinion of school-based SLPs. And I can remember being in school being like, I'm not going to sell out and be a (laughs) school-based SLP. And and, oh my goodness, they just are so stagnant and they don't like, I mean, I was really brutal. Trust me when I tell you. Wow. Here I am being a school-based SLP for most of my career, but I've definitely tried a lot of different things as well. Um, And that's just not true. And so I love seeing this SLP community because I feel like if anything, we've shown that like you can be school-based SLP and be cutting edge and creative and have amazing, fun ways to attack a goal. And, and um, so it's really cool, but uh, I definitely rescind that comment. I, I also feel like schools are where I, just belong and it makes me happy um and for even like superficial reasons I guess like things that I enjoy just like celebrating holidays in schools and the festive atmosphere you know what I right. mean right like those yeah. kind of things just and bring a little bit of cheer to your work if you know you can you know go in in a festive sweater or like you know that people will look forward to your therapy and they know you're gonna have fun holiday games or whatever but um Yeah. And my husband even said, um, the months that I was working at the clinic, he could just tell, he He could just tell in my, yeah. And how my, 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 um, my attitudes, my behavior, my, just how I felt coming home. Not that I was like overly worked or exhausted or anything. He could just tell a difference. And Mm -hmm. my first week back at the new district, he would, he said, wow, um, you just, seem happier. (laughs) And, you know, it's just, it just goes to show that if you're not happy where you are, there is a better place for you, whether it's going from one school to another, or even trying a different setting. Um, But, um, you know, it's not that my school is perfect. It's not that everything is fine and dandy. I have lots of still paperwork and, you know, all the regular school-based things. It's just now I think I have a different, um, attitude towards it. I have a more, more appreciation for, um, what I have and kind of what I've been through over the last few months. So, um, my outlook has changed, I think. So if I'm working on progress reports on Friday night at home, that's okay. I'm, I'm getting it done and I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) Really happy for you and can't wait to look for, or, you know, see what you have in store. 
Yeah, yeah. Should we do our game? Yeah, let's do it. So we have a holiday um, yes. theme-based game. We're going to use the holiday popper. Where is it from? Target? Yes. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> I went there three times in the last two days. It's such a problem. <laughs> it's so funny. There's one Target, but it's about from my house, about a 40 minute drive. And, um, it, it's just not, I never run errands kind of in the area where the target is. I'm usually on the other side of town. Okay. So I only go to target if that's my destination. And so a couple of weeks ago, I told my husband and my daughter, I said, all right, I have to go grocery shopping, but first I'm going to target and anybody want to come with me? And they looked at me like, no. <laughs> so I went by myself, got my Starbucks and I wandered Target for a good hour, hour and a half just by myself. It was great. <laughs> you kind of see people walking around like zombies in Target. Yes. No, it's so true. I, there's actually one probably like even less than a mile from my house, which is how I oh, wow. wind up there like three times on a weekend. Uh, you know, yeah, um, we live in a pretty like urban area. We've got to like target every five miles. Exactly. Here. So, and unfortunately all three of those trips were with children. I didn't get any solo zombie time in target. Oh, so I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'm guessing you're an Amazon girl then, right, Kristen? I am. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Amazon prime all the way. <laughs> All right, so I'll let you go first, Kim. So All we right. have our ball popper. Kim is going to hit one of the cards and then we're gonna ask a would you rather question. Really These are all okay. holiday themed. Yep. Because that's the time it is in Target's bullseye section. Yeah. <laughs> this this game is Ashley Rossi inspired. It is. <laughs> Ashley, yeah. Ashley would probably start praying for us if she saw how badly this <laughs> popper is going. All right, so you kind of blew that one. You didn't pop it, but you blew it. Would you rather give or receive a gift? Oh, I am so awkward at receiving gifts. So <laughs> I, I would rather give, but um, I have to be honest with you. I mean, just Christmas time gets to be so expensive. And so when, whenever I have to take part in another gift exchange, I'm like, oh man, it's another $20. <laughs> it's another 20 But I do love giving gifts. I'm kind of awkward with receiving, you know, I'm like, hey. <laughs> don't like to open presents in front of people. And yeah. <laughs> My husband and I have this line we always pass back and forth because everything, I feel like you just spend money so easily during the holiday season. And also I work in four different classrooms with support staff. So like people get you things and you feel like you have to stock up on like tiny gifts to disperse, but you can't buy 25 people at work a gift. Like, right. You know? So uh, from, you know, that movie, The Christmas Story, um, mm -hmm. Christmas Story, it's a classic. And so there's the scene where he says, I can feel the Christmas noose start to tighten and, and like I literally went to Whole Foods and bought a bunch of baking supplies and it was expensive yesterday. And my husband was like, the Christmas noose is already tightening and it hasn't even been Thanksgiving. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish I had an endless budget at Christmas time because I'd be giving gifts to everybody. <laughs> even just wrapping them is fun, making like a pretty, yeah. you know, presentation. You know what I did when I was working at that school mm -hmm. um, for all my teachers and all the support staff, I made like hot chocolate jars for them oh, and gave that out because I feel like that was pretty inexpensive. Everything was like under $5 and nice. give them all out to people. Mm. Um, That's sweet. Check out Pinterest for inexpensive <laughs> yeah. teacher gifts. All right, let's see. All right. So would you rather a cold winter Christmas or a hot summery one? I have to go with hot summary, but you have to, I have to know I grew up in San Diego. Okay. So 
I've lived in Texas for 14 years and in San Diego, it was always warm on Christmas. Um, but I will take the cold if there's a good snow to play in. Yeah. Where I live, we don't get snow very often. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe a flurry here and there, but it's been a few years since we've had a really good, like snowman building kind of snow. Um, so if it's just going to be like it is today, overcast and cold and a little rainy, I'd rather be hot. <laughs> I hear you. How about you? I think cold because I grew up in New York and it's still, I've been here a lot of years and it's still so strange to me to be going to Target <laughs> and picking out holiday attire and I'm in a tank top and sweating too. You know? yeah. It's been really hot lately. It's really has. Really has. It's funny how I grew up in the warm, and so that's my preference, and you grew up in the cold, and that's your preference. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just shows, you know, your background kind of makes you. Yeah, those childhood memories. <laughs> Would you rather be an elf or a reindeer? <laughs> I think I'd like to fly. There you so go. I think I'd like to be a reindeer so I can feel what it's like to fly. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. I feel like reindeer because I feel like I'm already like in my house and I just <laughs> time. so I just want to work one night a year like the reindeer there you go. all right oh, I'll let you get the next one all right we'll do two more so would you rather celebrate Christmas or Easter I feel like you can't have one without the other you know the holidays yeah those two holidays in particular you know um they just go together um if I have to pick, I'll pick, I'll pick, I'll pick Christmas, but okay. you know, you, you kind of have to have both. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least, you know, I'm a Christian and Christians, we celebrate both, you know? Um, but if you take the religious aspect out of it, then probably I like Christmas better than the egg hunting business. Okay. Yeah. Cause you get the <laughs> month of it too, really. Yeah. yeah and I love the that. decorations and the music and the caroling and yeah, all of that. There you go. <laughs> That's true. You get a whole month. Um, okay. So my question is, would you rather celebrate Christmas at home or at a relative's place? I think at home because, um, we, you know, we have our tree and we can be in our pajamas and, you know, that kind of thing we did. Uh, my family is all in San Diego. And so there was one year that my daughter and I flew back and we were in San Diego on Christmas. My husband was not with us. And that was very sad. Um, but we, you know, we did all the, the same things that we did at home, but it just, um, it was great being with my family, but it was different than, you know, being at home in your own house with mm -hmm. your own decorations and your own bed and your own, you know, things. There's just something really nice about that. The funny thing is, is that year we were in San Diego, that was the one year since I've lived here that it snowed on Christmas. In Texas? Oh, no. Yeah, at, oh, where going? I live in Texas. Oh, yeah, no. and we were in San Diego in, oh, you know, 70 degree weather. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> you weren't meant to have your snowy Christmas. <laughs> no, I never have. Never had a white Christmas. <laughs> it's fun to spend it with your family, but it's nice to be at home in your pajamas. So I would go with home too. <laughs> Definitely true. Definitely true. Well, yeah. this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. Yeah, thank you. I love getting to know you um, both a little bit better and um, being able to share some of my experiences. It's been really great. So I love your podcast. You definitely have to keep it up. And I love the interviews because I listen to them and I'm thinking, wow, I didn't know that about this person. And, 
you know, just hearing their insights and their experiences. It's really great. So keep it up. You guys are doing a great job. Thank you. We definitely will. And hopefully we get to meet you in person sometime. Hey, hey, can you believe we're already on episode 23? Have you subscribed yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Head on over to the app that you listen to the podcast in and hit subscribe today so that you will be one of the first people to know when an episode releases.